Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. The Mouse, the Bird, and the Sausage, a folktale or household tale from the Brothers Grimm. Uh, <laughs> I don't. It's definitely a tale about a household. Um, is it about folk? I don't know. <laughs> if you consider a mouse, a bird, and sausage folk, it's a folk tale. Well, <laughs> what I like about this tale is is what's implicit in it, not what's explicit in it. And uh, I, I think it's well worth reading. I hope you'll read it for us, Jesse. Sure. But I hope as people may listen to your reading that they'll listen to what's implicit in it. And let me just give one little hint about that. Um, if this is a household tale, that's what the uh, the Grimm brothers called their what we call fairy tales in English. But they were Hausmärchen. They called them house tales or stories, uh, household tales. Um the mouse, the bird, and the sausage, uh, it says, the first line, once upon a time, a mouse, a bird, and a sausage entered into partnership and set up house together. Well, this is, uh, this is a menage a trois. There are certain moral issues involved, and you know, these are not of the same sort of individual. So I'm just wondering if what happens here is a reflection of how the story is commenting on what it means for disparate individuals to do something as scandalous as set up a menage a trois. <laughs> That's probably not what you were reading for, Jesse, but I'm just trying to get people thinking strange thoughts as they listen to you. Will you read it for us? Yeah, sure. Here we go. The mouse, the bird, and the sausage. Once upon a time, a mouse, a bird, and a sausage entered into partnership and set up house together. For a long time, all went well. They lived in great comfort and prospered so far as to be able to add considerably to their stores. The bird's duty was to fly daily into the wood and bring in fuel. The mouse fetched the water, and the sausage sawed to the cooking. When people are too well off, they always begin to long for something new. And so it came to pass that the bird, while out one day, met a fellow bird to whom he boastfully expatiated, on the excellence of his household arrangements. But the other bird sneered at him for being a poor simpleton who did all the hard work, while the other two stayed at home and had a good time of it. For when the mouse had made the fire and fetched in the water, she could retire into her little room and rest until it was time to set the table. The sausage had only to watch the pot to see that the food was properly cooked and when it was near, nearing dinner time, he just threw himself into the broth and rolled in and out among the vegetables three or four times, and they, there they were, buttered and salted and ready to be served. Then when the bird came home and had laid aside his burden, they sat down to table, and when they had finished their meal, they could sleep their fill till the following morning. And that was really a very delightful life. Influenced by these remarks, the bird, next morning, refused to bring in the wood, telling the others that had been their servant long enough and had been a fool into the bargain, and that it was now time to make a change and to try some other way of arranging the work. Beg and pray as the mouse and the sausage might, 
It was of no use. The bird remained master of the situation, and the venture had to be made. They therefore drew lots, and it fell to the sausage to bring, it to, to bring in the wood, to the mouse to cook, and to the bird to fetch the water. And now what happened? The sausage started in search of wood. The bird made, made the fire, and the mouse put on the pot. And then these two waited till the sausage returned with the fuel for the following day. But the sausage remained so long away that they became uneasy, and the bird flew out to meet him. He had not flown far, however, when he came across a dog who, having met the sausage, had regarded him as his legitimate booty, and so seized and swallowed him. The bird complained to the dog of this bare-faced robbery, but nothing he said was of any avail, for the dog had answered that he had found false credentials on the sausage, and that was the reason his life had been forfeited. The bird picked up the wood and flew sadly home, and told the mouse all he had seen and heard. They were both very unhappy, but agreed to make the best of things, and to remain with one another. So now the bird set the table, and the mouse looked after the food, and wishing to prepare it in the same way as the sausage, by rolling in and out of a, among the be- vegetables to salt and butter them, she ju- jumped into the pot. But she stopped short long before she reached the bottom, having already parted not only with her skin and hair, but also with her life. Presently the bird came in and wanted to serve up the dinner, but he could nowhere see the cook. In his alarm and flurry he threw the wood here and there about the floor, called and searched, but no cook was to be found. Then some of the wood that had been carelessly thrown down caught fire and began to blaze. The bird hastened to fetch some water, but his pail fell into the well, and he after it. And as he was unable to recover himself, he was drowned. The End (laughs) <laughs> the end. <laughs> Indeed. And what is it the end of? Uh, the lesson. <laughs> I see. Oh, very clearly it's a lesson. I'm not sure what the lesson is supposed to indicate uh, other than uh, a few insane ideas and also some very sensible ideas and um, a very harsh punishment. This is sort of, I guess, the... Um, the hallmark of all the Brothers Grimm stories is like harsh punishment, right? Punishment is, seems to be a very popular idea. Yes, uh, although obviously uh, when the stepsisters in Cinderella get punished, there is a, a reason for it, and that is that they have been bad to Cinderella and we're supposed to think well of her. And so it is a deserved punishment. Um, And so the end of the story, punishment is superseded and we think, ah, yes, the story ends with they lived happily ever after, not the story ends with they were cripples with bleeding feet. Right. Um, In this story, the survivor of the characters we meet is the dog. Yep. And the so, other bird, too, the one who sneered and actually sort of caused all this ruckus if, if you don't believe that it was the, the bird in partnership's fault. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, punishment is a big thing in the Grimm brothers. Um, they seem to think that it is, it is uh, characteristic of the nation within which they live since the 
dog gives as his justification that the sausage had false credentials. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what pockets the sausage would have used for carrying them, but um, if we believe the narrator, I don't believe the dog stopped and quizzed the sausage anyway. Yeah. Um, that's uh, To me, that's one of the best parts of the story, is just that the dog justifies his his legitimate booty taking as well he didn't have his papers in order yeah (laughs) for a fantasy to be um of interest it seems to me it has to resonate with something that is real if we can for the sake of discussion oppose fantasy and reality um i don't but that's another matter uh but if we can say well you know why should we care about um Wally in that that movie uh, because we see Wally's struggles as somehow like ours. Why do we care about this story? It seems to have a moral that says uh, stick to what you do best, mm-hmm. or maybe don't listen to advice that tells you to be jealous. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be. If you've got a good situation, just accept it. Stop this stuff. Those seem like pretty good morals. Um, but I think that there might be another moral here uh, that's deeper and that maybe makes us like it. And it's it has to do with that menage a trois, mm. from my viewpoint. You know, the line, the sausage saw to the cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's another way you could say you could say the sausage made a good dinner. And he did. He made a good dinner for the two other creatures he lived with. And then he made a good dinner for the dog. (laughs) Right. So there are two ways to look at exactly the same thing. Um, I can easily imagine a mouse who brings water and I can easily imagine a bird who brings uh, sticks. In fact, mice probably do bring something like water. They certainly bring sustenance to their kits. Um, And birds do gather twigs to make nests. But sausages don't cook. (laughs) Oh, I cook them all the time. (laughs) Yeah, well, there you go. (laughs) Getting that that ambiguity of natural language. It seems to me that for them to make out real well and to increase their stores... Mm -hmm. What we have in their household is a, a small domain, a fantastic domain within which this fantastic but obviously unnatural team can work together. And as long as nothing breaks through that wall, um, they're OK. Now, the bird flits about, goes out of that house. And if all he does is go into an unpopulated world, he can return to that house perfectly well. But he meets another bird, not a bird who lives in this fantasy world, but outside the fantasy world. And of course, it's all fantasy since the animals can talk and Mm -hmm. it begins with once upon a time and so on. But within the fantasy world, there's a special interior domain, just as in Hansel and Gretel. Within the fantasy world, there is yet another interior domain, the, the witch's house. And when the bird returns to this interior domain, having been infected, persuaded, whatever, by the the other bird, uh, 
they turn to chance. And by chance, um, the sausage has to go out into the world. In the world, a sausage does not get to make cookie, uh, not get to cook dinner. The sausage is dinner. Mm-hmm. And the notion that a sausage can go into a pot and then come out again having flavored it, well, that's right, <laughs> because sausages are already dead. They don't die. What happens at the end of this story is uh, a sort of a moral that says you can't defeat nature. Right. It's sort of like the mm. scorpion or the frog. Yep. You know, you, you, you can't defeat nature. But I think there's, for me, a somewhat deeper meaning. Uh, the last thing that happens in this story. The last thing that happens Then some of the wood that had been carelessly thrown down caught fire and began to blaze. The bird hastened to fetch some water. Why? Why didn't the bird just fly away? Because the bird is still hanging on to this fantasy. Mm. The bird hastened to fetch some water, but his pail fell into the well and he was and he after it. And as he was unable to recover himself, he was drowned. Mm-hmm. So a bird that will not give up this fantasy is disabled from being in the real world, even though the bird now has a source for as much water as he could possibly want. The last thing that happens is the bird being abandoned in the well. The penultimate thing is the house caught fire and began to blaze. I believe there is an, another sentence that is omitted from the story at the very end. The bird hastened to fetch some water, but his pail fell into the well and he went after it. And as he was unable to recover himself, he was drowned and the house was reduced to ashes. Mm -hmm. I think that missing sentence is as implicit as you can get, but it seems to me that that is the correct end of the story because the beginning of the story is Uh, Once upon a time, a mouse, a bird and a sausage entered into partnership and set up house together. The end of the story is that the house is utterly destroyed. It is. If, If the house represents a domain within the story that is its own fantasy of being able to go beyond nature, to have a rational convivial, congenial household, a safe place where one can thrive and indeed increase one's stores. If that's what that house represents, when nature reasserts itself, that house is destroyed. And I think what this story may say, it's not the obvious moral, it's not even the implicit moral, it's the implicit, implicit moral. But I think what it says is, If the best fantasy that you can come up with is one that depends entirely on the fantastic to function, it will not work. The only fantasies that can really work are ones that truly function in the real world. (laughs) There's um, there's something, uh, I think, implicit also in that final sentence. The bird hastened to fetch some water, but but his pail fell into the well, and he after it. Was that because it was an accident? Or is he killing himself? To me, I think if birds can fly, all 
he was unable to recover himself. Well, like he tipped over and accidentally fell down the well because he's not used to fetching water? Come on. This is this is a horror story, right? The 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 same story goes with the bird. Uh, sorry, with the um, with the mouse. What does she do? She's cooking, and she wants to do just like the sausage always did. So she here here goes. So now the bird set the table, and the mouse looked after the food, and wishing to prepare in the same way as the sausage by rolling in and out among the vegetables to salt and butter them she jumped into the pot but she stopped short long before she reached the bottom having already parted not only with her skin and hair but also her life that's it's very i mean she's losing her skin her hair is boiling to death right yeah this is a bird she should know better i mean this is a mouse she should know better not to jump into hot you know hot vegetables that are being cooked over a fire um, what makes her so foolish? Well, one reading is that she's not foolish. This is her way of killing herself. Um, <laughs> it makes the reader all the more upset. Um, just as, you know, the bird dying in the water, um, makes the reader upset. But what ultimate, like, what is the fantasy, uh, ultimately destroyed by? It's by the bird's foolishness in listening, I think, one way of reading it, is that it's the bird's foolishness in listening to some random bird that it found in the woods. Yeah, they're both birds, but just because somebody else has the same hair color as you, you don't, you don't necessarily have to treat everything they say as gospel, as uh, unquestionable. And, and, and you're right to point out the role of chance that shows up in how they're going to make things more fair, right? We're going to re-roll the dice and, and re-roll our rolls and see who gets to do what. Had it been that they all rolled the same way, would the bird be satisfied? It's a good question. My guess is no. Right. Uh, I think it's also uh, worth picking up the, the parallelism that you uh, offer us one can look at both the bird and the mouse as having felt compelled to go into the water. Mm-hmm. And by going into the water, they both die. Now, I'm think of a pot and your illustration and, your, and the illustration in the edition that you uh, shared with me. Um, a pot, you know, you can think of it as a cylinder with uh, mm-hmm. full water winds open only at one end. And so is a well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is a birth canal. <laughs> but the sausage, you mean? Well, you know, the sausage <laughs> is the most phallic member of the of the trio, and the sausage is able to get in and out of that pot pretty easily. Another way to look at it, of course, is not in the Freudian sexual terms, um, which I think might be valid, but might not in as much as in as much as one of the other creatures is male. But but also the fact that the sausage is the only one that's dead. Right. The other two creatures, it's fantastic that they can talk, but they are living creatures. Sausages aren't. (laughs) Sausages are made by first taking living creatures, killing them and chopping them up 
and putting them in the guts of another living creature mm-hmm. neck dead and chopped up. So, sure, you can't be any worse off for going in and out of <laughs> that cylinder if you're already dead. Um, I, however, I, I, I also, I mean, uh, with with regards to uh, how ridiculous the story is, I mean, it's why I love it so much. Is it's just so. How can this possibly make sense? This li- listen to this. He just threw himself into the broth or rolled in and out among the vegetables three or four times, and there they were, buttered and salted and ready to be served. To whom? Well, to the bird and the mouse, and presumably to himself. Yep. You've got you've got actually, and I made note of it. I guess the second time I read through it. Um, the genders. Not that you would think it matters that much when you've got a bird and a mouse and a sausage living together. Um, what matters is their gender, and probably not. The mouse is the female, and then there's two males: the sausage and the bratwurst, right? Or the bratwurst <laughs> and the uh, bird. Um, yeah. We've got. Uh, it's it it's a polyandrous situation in a certain sense, right? But they are actually doing well. They prospered, and so far as to be able to add considerably to their stores. Well, this is true. When you divide the uh, the cost of living up, you know, you have roommates, you have... I, I mean, it says partnership. I don't know if the original German has a more... Uh, is it, are, are they just like... Is this a business? They're all living together. They're all uh, bachelors and maidens. I don't know any any of that stuff, but I can see how this story could apply to multiple kinds of purposes. I, I always think about why people tell the folk tales, and it seems to be like it's a way of giving advice without actually having to say you need to take this advice. It's something to think about, and people can pick out their own stuff from it. I know somebody who is uh, lives in a household situation like this. It's not polyandrous. It's uh, poly uh, polygamous. Um, I don't know that that house will end in disaster. That that's one way to interpret this story. That that you can't have multiple wives or husbands. I don't know. Right. That, I don't know that that always leads to disaster. It it's certainly not traditional, but. Um, there are other stories, you know, listen, listening to some stranger tell you your family is fucked up. That's going to damage you, too. And that's also what that bird does. Right. Or you could think of the sausage as, you know, he's the disabled member of the family. As you say, he's dead. Right. Um, he, he He's disabled. His papers are not in order. If he goes outside, he'll be arrested by the police. Um, so don't send him outside. Don't expect him to do the same jobs that you're able to do with a, a bird that can fly or a mouse that can scurry. Yeah, that's I, that's it, the power of a story like this, I think. I think those are the, the, the those are the meanings of it. I the, a problem though for me in uh, trying to decide what to make of this story is the the clear difference between, to take your word, power, the power of Cinderella or Snow White 
or Hansel and Gretel or even the little tailor. And this, I mean, this story is virtually unread mm. today. Uh, we don't find resonant revisions of it. You know, if Pretty Woman is a modern retelling of the Cinderella story, um, the reason we get a modern retelling is there's something that grabs us in that story. And I think part of the problem with this story is that it does give us reasonable morals. I mean, instructions. Um, don't. I mean, when you have experience of the people you live with and you know they're trustworthy, and the, the proof of that we hear among these Lutheran uh, Germans of the early 19th century um, is that your your physical uh, goods are growing. Uh, if you've got that, don't listen to some stranger, as you say. That's 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 dumb. But of all of the things that say don't listen to a stranger, um, why would this be the one that we would want to listen to? Wouldn't we want to listen to Hansel and Gretel? Wouldn't we, you know, where the stranger comes into the life and it's the stepmother, right? And then the stepmother metamorphoses into the witch in the woods, right? Or, you know, this is, this is a random stranger. The only similarity, as you suggested, is they have the same hair color. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, they're both birds. Really, you're going to go away from the people that really work for you, for someone else who just sort of looks alike? That's a terrific message. Mm -hmm. It's a powerful message, but I think it's not powerful in this story. And I, I don't think that we should take the time now unless uh, you ask. But, you know, the true oral tales, as Vladimir Propp showed us in the 1920s, share a fundamental structure. And that fundamental structure turns out to be a human universal. It's really quite extraordinary that that fundamental structure can be found in true oral tales in every culture from which we've ever been able to gather true oral tales. And you can hang all kinds of morals on those on that structure and they they come across, they they get into people's minds, both the explicit morals and the implicit ones, because the structure is is a human universal. This story, despite the fact that we have works like Cinderella that seem to work on or are close to those Propian folk tales, this story just isn't one of them. It doesn't have that kind of structure of departure and return, of hidden gifts. I mean, there's a whole set of things that happen in a true oral tale, and they're just not here. It's almost as if the tale were constructed just to give the moral. <laughs> and uh, it, it does a nice job of it. It's cute. But I think we need to recognize that as deeply as you and I can go into it, at the end of the day, maybe it's just cute. <laughs> what do you think? I think there's more to say. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.